If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and if you don't have one, you, can, you have a blue one that's in front of you. It's about right here in the, in the Scriptures. I did, I think I actually went out and got the page number, but of course I'm old and forgot it. So, but I have it for mine, so we're, we're good to go. Luke chapter 15. All right, we began this passage because of what it teaches about our loving God. Our loving God is a faithful, forgiving God, and specifically, what, last week? He pursues the lost. He pursues the lost. How? He loves us. He loves us. I'm not talking about Hollywood, Hallmark love. I'm talking about sincere, true, biblical, godly love. And he joyfully responds to when a lost person is found. Now, that's all about the, this chapter 15 is all about lost things. Lost. Well, why is it important that God responds to a lost or something that's lost? Because, well, if we're one of God's children, we can tend to get lost every once in a while. I know there are different ways we're going to discuss lost, but We tend to get lost, and we often run away when we do that, when we, after our flailing, our falling, and ultimately failing Him, instead of running to Him, we tend to run away. We tend to hide. And again, we do that because human beings tend to like darkness rather than light. We don't come to the Lord and hold on to Him We tend to run from Him. Well, if a person isn't one of God's children, if they're not one of God's children, they often can believe that God, don't take this in a wrong way, they take it that God is an ogre, that He just wants to make sure that you do not do what you want to do, or if I have done what I know that you know that I shouldn't do. You want to stop it. You're going to put, just give me a set of rules that is going to ruin my life. None of these beliefs are true. Not what the Christian believes or not what one who is not a Christian believes. What is true is that God loves you, me, and pursues the lost. Amen? Amen. I was blessed to be reminded of these things that I know, but I don't often or always, not often, I do often practice them, but sometimes I don't. Because sometimes when I mess up, God, I did it again. I did it again. And I don't want to really face you, but I need to run to you. Well, I was blessed to be reminded of these things two weekends ago and knew that all of you could benefit from this particular passage and benefit from these truths because I did. Because when I'm up here preaching, I'm preaching to myself. Yeah, I'm preaching to you guys, but I'm preaching to myself. 
In this chapter, in chapter 15, Dr. Luke recorded Jesus' response to the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were the religious elites. For someone who didn't know it, you would look at these guys and go, oh man, those guys, they've got it going on. They've got everything going on. They wear their big robes. They sit in the front rows in the synagogues. And the scribes, well, they were those who had vast knowledge of the law. They knew the first five books of the Pentateuch. They knew it. And they were the lawyers. All right? They, they were the lawyers. They wrote everything down. They wrote contracts for marriage. They wrote divorce. If someone got a divorce, they wrote loans. They were the religious attorneys. All right? That's what a scribe was. Now, some scribes were Pharisees, but not all. Pharisees. If we were at a melodrama, we would go, All right, Pharisees are members, of the, are members of a religious party that believed in the resurrection. They had that going on for them. They believed that was, that was right. They believed in a resurrection and in following legal traditions that weren't necessarily found in the Bible. They followed what the fathers taught, man-made traditions. Again, remember, they fenced in the law. They made the law even bigger than what it was so we couldn't get close to breaking it. They were also legal experts, but most Pharisees, remember that the Lord said the Pharisees loved money? They were, they were small landowners and traders, not professional scribes. But one thing the Pharisees and the scribes had in common, they hated Capital H, capital A, T-E-D, hated Jesus, despised him. And why? Because he attracted sinners. Let that sink in. Jesus attracted sinners while they repelled them whether on purpose or just by their actions. Well, lost sinners came to Jesus not because he compromised his message or catered to them, but because he cared for them. Big difference. He didn't cater to the sinners, but he cared for them. Well, how did he care? He took the time to know their needs and in fact, he would actually eat with them while the religious elite, though they had great biblical knowledge and great desire for personal holiness, had no love for the lost. None. Well, this morning we're going to Look at one of the most famous teachings that's recorded that Jesus gave in the entire in the scriptures. You probably know it as the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal simply means wasteful. Or you might have heard the story of the lost son. 
But actually, it's a story of two lost sons. And even more importantly, the father who loves them both. In the story, there is one message of salvation. One, God welcomes and accepts repentant sinners. But combined, all three of the stories also reveal that there are two aspects of salvation. Two, there's God's part, sovereign, God's part, the shepherd who seeks the lost sheep and the woman who searches and finds the lost coin. We saw that last, last week, and he rejoices when he finds them. But as we'll see today, there's also man's part in salvation. The wayward son repented, turned around, and returned home. Make no mistake. To emphasize one over the other is wrong. God is sovereign in salvation, and man must turn to him and believe. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the story. We're going to look at the three characters of the story, and not necessarily in the order that I'm going to give you here. We're going to look at the younger lost son, the older lost son. You can tell I really got into this, you know, these titles. I really thought about it hard. Younger, older, whatever. And at times, we've been both. Depending on what hour we're asked. And the central figure, the central character of all, the loving father. Oh, I did write this page down so you can find in the blue Bibles. It's 874. Now, what I'm going to do, but a little bit different this morning, I'm not going to preach from the Bible. It's, I'm going to tell you the story, but the Scripture is going to be on the screen as I'm giving it, and I hopefully will bring it maybe into today's world a little bit more. We're going to begin with the younger lost son. All right, to get to the point of what Jesus is saying, we have to understand the culture. Because if we just read the, read the chapter, we would look at this and we would put it directly into the 21st century, and we would not understand what Jesus was saying. We have to understand the culture that he lived. In every culture, though, now I'm going to look at you and I'm going to look at all you people who have been rebels in your life. Don't raise your hand. Just keep your hands down. Who in this room? Again, don't answer it. This is, don't, don't answer. Don't, don't, even raise, don't even think about it. Who has wanted to be a master of their own life? Want to get out from daddy's thumb because I can do it better and I want to do it better and I don't want to have anything to do with what he said because they are just, oh, they're so old. They want to be masters of their lives. And to do that, most people, to be able to be a master of their own life, need funds, right? They need, they need wealth. They need money. For us, it'd be greenbacks. For about then, it would be denariuses. And that hasn't changed. 
We still need money to, if you want to run off and go do what you want to do, you're going to still have to have funds or a way to make wealth. Well, in the first century Palestine, the culture, you worked for a family. Most people work for a family. You were either a family member who would eventually inherit, or you were a servant, sometimes a slave, that would work for a family, and that's how you got your money. But in first century Palestine, the culture put a high value, a high, high value that we don't necessarily do as much anymore, a high value of honoring parents, an extreme value of valuing the older folks. And to break away from this norm was shameful. You can't get that hard. It's shameful. You just don't do that. Well, the human condition hasn't changed over the years, and the youngest son had had enough. He didn't want to live under daddy's thumb anymore. I know we understand the implications behind this. He didn't want to live under God's thumb anymore. Well, he dreamed of faraway places. What people did on the other side of the world, what they did on, in faraway lands. And he didn't want to be tied down to the family business anymore. He didn't want to be tied down to a community that was watching his every move. Oh, there goes the boss's son. There goes the boss's son. Oh, nothing. He didn't want to be, have anything to do with it. The prying eyes, the disapproving eyes. What isn't said, what, but is implied, he wanted to sow his wild oats. Throughout this, I'm going to try to be as family-friendly as I possibly can. But I want you to know the implications of what he wanted to do. He wanted to run wild. He wanted out, and he didn't care about what anybody thought in the process. He went and asked his dad for a share of the property. Now, property here is the name Uzia in the Greek. All right, Uzia, there, there are a couple words that we're going to see where property, this makes a big difference because Uzia here, it's all he thought about it, property. It meant wealth. He wanted stuff. He wanted things that he could buy things with. He wanted his share. And he asked for an inheritance. And the historical norm here, or not the historical, the cultural norm, that two sons... If there was a family with two sons, the oldest son would get two-thirds of the property. The younger son would get a third. Now, what this man is asking for, what he's, he's not asking for two-thirds. He's only asking for his amount. The amount wasn't the issue, though. The issue was the timing He'd normally receive what was given to him on when the father died, at the death of the father. So he was basically saying, I wish you were dead 
And I don't want to wait around to watch you die. I don't want to take care of you when you die. I want out. I want the money. Give it to me. Give it to me now. And the request brought shame. I didn't mention this earlier. It was a shame culture that they lived in. We either had great respect or you were shamed. And this was shameful. This brought shame upon the father. This brought shame upon his family, which included the older brother. And this request, again, was equivalent to saying, to you. According to the law of Moses, this could have been considered a capital offense. At the very least, it broke the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Well, the father could have done a few things. The father could have put him in his place. No. Or the father could have appealed to his societal norms. Son, son, don't do this. You're not going to look good. You're, you're making me out to be, look really, really badly. He didn't do that. He could have countered this way. Well, what if we give you maybe just a tenth of that right now, and we'll see how you do, and we'll see, you know, after a year or so, we'll see, see how this ends up, and then we can give you more. He didn't do that. He didn't do it at all. The father wanting to reclaim the relationship with the son did the only thing that he could. He let his son go. He released him. He did what he asked. Now, no doubt, when this happened, this sent tongues wagging in the community and wagging in that farm or whatever property they had. I don't know if it was a farm or a, or a sheepfold. I don't know, but it was going. And the father then divided his property. Again, the verses, the verses up there, the property here is a different word. The word is bios. It's life. He divided what was he had in his Life. Everything that was associated with it. The dad was giving up everything. He had skin in the game. And his heart's broken. And it tears him apart. Well, the boy leaves going to a far country. We don't know how he traveled there. For those listening to Jesus, this would have meant that he went to a Gentile land. Jesus often said this when we see this in the Gospels, when he went to over on the other side, he went from Israel over to the other side to Gentile lands. That's never a good place to go as far as a Jewish man or woman would want to be. He went far, far away from his father, far away from the estate, which he didn't want anything to do with, and far away from everyone's prying eyes. He could finally live the way he wanted to live. He's living the dream. He's living it up. 
And Jesus' words are, he wasted his property. Now we go back to the wealth end of it. On wild living. For those of you who are reading the King James, prodigal living. He forgets every moral boundary that he's ever been under. He gets rid of it. He's living a bad life. And I know we have loved ones who are doing that. He's living a bad life. But understand that bad luck didn't just happen to him. We see this. He's reckless living. No one stole anything from him. There's no bad business deals. He just spent everything that he had. He spent every ounce of the money, every back to the little, every cent, everything he had. He caused the loss. He lost it all. And it turned from feast to famine in just one verse. In fact, famine hit. You do know about famines, right? Famines when no crops grow. It's a bad situation. For probably the first time in his life, the first time in his life, he began to feel need. Church, I think, in fact, there are two famines going on here. I've heard that life within and circumstances—excuse me, life within and circumstances without—often agree. His inner soul—it was empty, and his body—he was hungry. He was needing to be worshipped. He was empty on both accounts, spiritually and physically. He's empty. The far-off land, which had one time promised a great time, now offered no comfort, no security, no fun, nothing. So he went and hired himself. Hired me is the word kalao. It means he attaches himself. Not just got hired. This is a strong word. He attached himself to a citizen of that far-off country. He's not even a Jew anymore. The word hired is just, he's united. He detached himself to someone who had no concern about who he was. All it was was, yeah, you're a laborer. <laughs> Whatever. He had united himself with riotous living, and it had turned out to be unfulfilling. Now he had to unite himself with a citizen of the country to even try to get something to eat. He had now resorted to hurting the most foul and unclean animal that someone from his background could ever have imagined. And I apologize to my youngest granddaughter because she loves pigs. Pigs. 
the younger son would have scoffed at the possibility of this happening. No way. No way. And remember the audience that Jesus is answering, the Pharisees and the scribes. They would have been repulsed. Not even them. I mean, any good Jewish man, Peter, James, and John, they're listening to this and going, ooh, pigs. That's, that's gross. But the Pharisees, they're going, yeah, he's getting what he deserves. He's getting everything that he deserves. Huh. It can't get any worse than this. He's empty physically, mentally, and spiritually. He even then begins to look at the pods that he's given the swine, and he desires to eat them. Now, this is crushed up carob pods. I think the closest thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back in time with me. When we had cotton, you would gin the cotton, and they would, put, they would have cotton seeds. They'd get rid of the cotton seed, and then they would transport the cotton seeds. Do I hear an amen from Bob Funk? Because Bob Funk's daddy and mom transported cotton seeds from Rosedale Co-op Gin to Rancher's Cotton Oil. And they would take that and they would squish the cotton seeds. And they would get the cotton oil out of it. And then they would use it for an amazing amount of things. But then after the cotton oil was removed, the seeds were given to livestock. Resorted to eating cotton seeds. Wow. He's entirely alone. The question needs to be asked. Why don't some prodigals come home? They think, well, what will my friends say? What will my dad say? What will my mom say? What will my sisters and my brothers say? What will my church say? What does God say? Come home. Come home. No matter what you've been attached to, no matter what sin, broken relationship, failure, come home. Vital realization now enters his psyche. David Garland has written, and I just like what he wrote. He said, the younger lost son has inner ruminations that result in resolutions to act. His thoughts go, I got to get up and I got to do something. He's hit rock bottom. He's done. And for those who have loved ones who've walked away from the faith, have you prayed that God will allow and do what it takes for your rebel to come home? Are you willing to let them hit rock bottom?
Well, he came to himself. I'm perishing. I'm perishing. And it's an essential admission because not until we know that we're lost can we be found. Notice, ultimately, it's not the filth and the hunger that brings him to his senses, but the goodness of his Father. In my Father's house, even the lowest of the low are given even more than they need. I'm going to turn from this place and go home. He now looks at what really, really matters. It's no longer the community's eyes. It's no longer what his family thinks about him. He doesn't even care. His family's not mentioned. Only his Father and heaven. That's who I want to go home. I want to go home to my Father. I've sinned against my Father and against heaven. He's offended his Father, and even more important, we know this, he offended God, and he admits it. He finally admits it. The lost son, he's not even considering being reconciled. All he wants to do is go home and be there and maybe even be able to be like a slave, the lowest person, the one who's feeding the sheep instead of the pigs in the far-off land. He's not even being considered being, having his daddy call him son anymore. Just let me eat the scraps off the table so I can begin to pay back at least what I owed. I never will be able to do that, but I want to do something. And he arose and came to his father. The scriptures say, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's God's kindness, not his firm hand, leads most. God still loves those who run. And before we move on, notice the progression that the younger son takes. He thinks. He remembers. He owns what he's done. He determines to go the other way. He turns. He repents. Now we come to the loving father. The father who's been wronged. The father who's been figuratively spit on. The father who released his authority over the son to let him leave now is seen waiting, watching, and wondering whether his son will ever turn that corner. And we can still see, and we see by his actions, longing and hoping for his youngest to return. You know, I, I just, I am amazed at Jesus' teachings. If the scribes and the Pharisees' jaws weren't already on the ground, and I'm sure that they probably had, if they made duct tape by then, they would have had to wrap their jaws up. Bungee cord would even be better, but at least they could move it. But they would have to be lifted off the ground now for what Jesus says. Now, instead of the Father making sure that the authorities, I don't know, 
the guys that took care of the, the, uh, eh, the police work. Don't let that kid in. We would have expected that, right? Don't let that kid here. He doesn't belong here. Or instead of the father giving the son a tongue lashing, I told you you'd do this. I told you this would happen. I can't believe you did it. Now go sit down over there and think about it. Instead of, you know, maybe make him sit down, you know, sit down on a little stool and time out for two minutes. He runs to him. He runs. Old men don't do this in that culture. It is shameful. They don't do it. They're not doing triathlons. They're not running 5Ks. That's what we would look at this and go, so what? He ran. He, they don't do it. They walk. But this man runs. They don't sacrifice their dignity this way. Never. Ever. And before the repentant rebel can even say a rehearsed word, he's embraced. Can you imagine the smell? And kissed. He's kissed, and he's kissed upon. Reminds me of the song, Grace, Grace, God's Grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace greater than all our sin. One has said, a sinner can run where we can barely crawl. Or God, excuse me, God can run where we can barely crawl. But if we're crawling towards him, he will run towards us. I can barely make it, but God is there. Come home. The father, he begins, he forgives before he even knows that the boy will ever stick around. And we know God will, knows the future, and he knows what's going to happen. But for this story, he did it before he even knew the boy would even, what the boy was going to say. There's no hesitation. Before he even has to clean up his act, he's there. Now, I had to ask my question, could I do this? Can I do this? Can you? The Father does. And we're called to as well. He kisses him. And you know what the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking? They're looking at this and they're, they, they can hardly stand even the thought of it. 
the pig manure still on this boy's skin. The boy hasn't even taken a bath yet. But his father lavishes his love on him. They think, make him wait at least a short amount of time. Five or ten years. Put him on probation, but no. Even the son is bewildered. Even knowing how good his father is, he didn't expect this. Father, he says, I've messed up. I've messed up. I have messed up beyond comprehension. Father, I've dishonored God and I've dishonored you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your boy. But the father cuts him off. Not in a mean way. He's not even listening to him. He cuts him off. He says, put the special robe on him. You know, the robe that I wear to weddings, the robe that I wear to bar mitzvahs, Put that robe on him, my robe. Put that on him. And while you're at it, get that ring, get the signet ring, get the family's ring, and put it on him too, which basically meant he has authority to spend the family's money again. And while you're doing it, we would think, well, put shoes on his feet as well. Only family members wore shoes. Slaves and servants went barefoot. He is to be seen as a family member, not a servant. And by the way, kill the fatted calf. Kill it. We've been waiting for a, a, just a prime time for this. We're all partying tonight. I've waited for this day, and it's here. We're having a party. We're celebrating. For this, my son was dead and is alive. Again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. If this took place in the United States this particular week, bring in the turkey. Let's even spring for the butterball. We'll even deep pit. We'll smoke it. I don't care how we have it. We might even deep fry it, but we're going to have it all, and we're going to have it great, and we're going to have pumpkin pie, and we're going to have real whipped cream on it too. Oh, man. Church, the Father's love, God's love is greater than any obstacle. Speaking of his love, Tozer writes, because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. Let me read that again. His love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful? But there's one more player in the story. One more actor waiting to make his appearance.
appearance on the stage. Where the younger son was overtly lost, the one everyone could see, he was the unrighteous sinner. There was one who was covertly lost. The self-righteous, the very moral, the older lost son. And just as with the younger son, the younger lost son, it was only the loving father who would be able to restore the family relationship. Well, Jesus tells a story. We, we see the older son. He's been working all day. Of course he has. He's a dutiful son. He's out working. He's coming home around dusk, and he approaches home, and he's heading home, and he hears the music. Now, get the picture. I, I am embellishing here. I picture this dude is never cracking a smile. He's just, he's just waiting, biding his time. He's not, I'm doing, oh, goodness, I'm doing this. I have to do it, but it is what a good boy does. And soon the old man will be gone, and I'll have everything. And that's when his Grinch smile smiles. Well, he trudges home wondering, what am I hearing? It sounds like a party. And, and it can't be a party because I'm the only one that has to, I'm the one that has to set up the parties since he went, since he left, the one who will not be named. It was all my responsibility now to make sure that they're planned. And it can't be a party because the father hasn't been the same since he left. Well, he called a servant and asked, you know, what's, what's going on? What, what's all this noise happening? I can even hear people dancing. What's, what is going on? Well, the worker, pity the worker, because the worker is excited too, and the worker is not even before, before he thinks. He's, he's probably got to, your brother came home. Your brother came home, and your dad's killed the fatted calf, and everything's going on. It's, it's so exciting. He doesn't remember who he's talking to. The older brother is going, you know, the hands. You know, the rage. Your brother's back. He's safe. He's thin. He's emaciated. He's back. Can you believe it? And, and the big boss, I, I, I mean your father, he's so happy. He's so happy the one that was lost has come home. And by the way, the one who's lost has been brought back into the family. Now listen to me very carefully. How do you, how do I react when a prodigal comes home?
when they receive forgiveness and honor from the Father, and that's capital F. Who has received them into his house. One writer said, talk about the irony, the offended insider is now in fact the resentful outsider. Instead of rejoicing at the good fortune of his brother, instead of rejoicing at the joy of his father, at his father's happiness and joy, he's angry. It's all about him. It's about how he's been wronged. The scribes and Pharisees would have said, right on, older brother. You, you got this right. You're okay to feel this way. Fist bump. Maybe in, in COVID now we're going to do a, you know, an, el an elbow bump. He's justified in his anger, isn't he? I mean, let's think about it. We're, we're, we're not even talking. I'm, I'm going off script here. We're not even talking about an unbelieving person. We're talking about someone who's lived and grown up in the faith. And they left. And they come back. And God takes them back. I've been working. I'm, goodness, I've taught Sunday school my whole life. I taught Awana for 35 years. Now, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about myself. I've taught youth in this church. I've taught you guys for so I'm sorry, but I've taught you. And then God sees this person and he accepts them just like me? What? Not to mention the, the guy that's been holding a sign on the off-ramp and all of a sudden he walks into church one day and he's been saved? Don't you know I paid taxes my whole life? Don't you know I paid Social Security my whole life? And now he's a part of our church. He can drink the same communion cup and eat the same communion bread as me? What? Notice the detail. Unlike the younger brother, he fails to come to himself. He doesn't, which causes the loving father to come to him. And again, the father forsakes his dignity. He didn't have to go out there. It wasn't his place to go out there, but he goes out and talks and pleads with his oldest. Now, the hidden truth of the whole matter It's what's been festering in the oldest hearts, the oldest man's heart. It comes out now. This has been festering. He hadn't stayed at home because he loved being with the father. He had stayed home out of duty because he had to because he had that carrot waiting for him. 
And he had the promise that he will require everything that's left when his father dies. It's almost like this when we've seen it, when we ask a child to apologize to his or her sibling. And say, you're sorry, little Johnny. I'm sorry. Okay. Or little Jimmy, when, Jimmy, you need to sit down. And Jimmy sits down. But Jimmy says to himself inside where no one can hear, I'm sitting down, but inside I'm standing up. Been there? And I'm not talking about the one talking to little Jimmy and Johnny. I've been the one who said it. Hear him. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never, diso never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. This is where I am going to get cross, crass, excuse me. Where he spent money on hookers and blow, I was here doing what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to do it, not supposed to do it. I was supposed to do it. I can't believe this is happening. You take him back like nothing ever happened. Concerning the older's response, R. Kent Hughes says, what does this all mean? It's possible for us older brothers to leave the father without leaving the farm. The younger brother had been lost, separated, from the father because of sins of passion. But the older brother was separated from his father through the, son, through the sins of attitude. He was even farther away than his younger brother, and he hadn't even left the farm. We don't know. We never will, but he possibly could have wanted to blow it just like his younger brother had. But he hadn't because he couldn't. At least the younger brother had the guts to do what he wanted. But one thing we do know, he's not home. He's outside looking in. And he doesn't love being with his father. I hate to say it, but we who have been in Christians for a long time are very susceptible to this. To the church in Ephesus, Jesus said, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. 
but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The loving father, how he responded, instead of exploding in return, instead of putting his oldest in time out, the loving father now responds graciously, reminded his son, literally in the Greek, my child. It's even more endearing. My child, the child whose fists are clenched, who's angry, that his inheritance is an inheritance that's at his disposal. You can use it. Everything that I have, you're not working for wages. You have an inheritance that's waiting for you, and I'm with you. And the truth is this, and it always will be, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. As we conclude, do you notice that Jesus doesn't conclude the parable? He leaves it open-ended. Because we would have looked and we go, you know, I don't know whether the younger son, does the younger son stay? Does the younger son hang on? Does he eventually take the older son's place? What, what happens? And we don't know if the older son comes in and sees the Father. But we do know this, that Jesus ends with a theme that we've seen in every one of these three acts of the story, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the lost sons. God's joy in recovering sinners. We've been given an illustration that symbolizes those who come to God by His grace through faith. That's the younger son. No way he deserved it. And those who seek salvation by their own works, the older. I want to leave you with your thoughts. Where do you stand? I know we all stand with the same father pursuing each and every one of us. Are you a younger son who's chasing the dreams of this world? And I'll put dreams in air quotes because they're not a dream. Or are you an older son that's dutifully doing their job but not in love with his daddy. Again, we can give thanks for what God has done. Lord God, we come to you and we thank you. We ask your spirit to speak to us. May you continue to be the loving father
and may we come to you and bask and enjoy your presence.